Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Great to be here with you, City on a Hill Community Church. Great to be a part of what uh, what God is doing here and uh, sharing from God's Word and just sort of getting uh, to connect with you all. Uh, I I've heard I've gotten to hear some of your stories and gotten to um, find out a little bit more about you as you have about me, and that's something that I I treasure. If I've never had the chance to meet you, my name's Tom Richter, and I'm a friend of the Lecce's. I'm a pastor in Queens. My church meets in the evening time. I would love to find out your name and learn your story. And uh, so I hope we get the chance to connect. I grew up in church. I don't know about you. I've been in church all my life. Some of you are like that. Some of these kids that were dismissed to Kidmo, that will be their story one day. They'll say, oh yeah, I grew up in church. I don't mean I joined the church at a young age. I used to tell people I was in church nine months before I was born. You understand? I was a fetus praising the Lord with my gills or whatever. Like I was in the... Uh, in the church at an early age. And one thing that never gets old for me is hearing people's testimonies. Hearing their testimonies. Now, testimonies is Christianese. Some of you speak that language, others don't. So let me translate. If anybody here is not yet fluent in Christianese, testimony is a simply the story of what God has done in a person's life. Just like in a court of law, they say this witness is going to give his or her testimony. What what do they expect them to say? They say, here, I'm not lying. This is the truth. This is what I witnessed. This is what happened to me. And so when somebody gives a testimony, they're, they're essentially saying, this is what God did in my life. This is where I was before God. This is how I came to faith, or this is what God did. This is the thing that he did that I'm here telling you about. And this is what's happened since testimony, right? Um, Awesome. They never get old. To me, they are so encouraging. I've heard them right here at City on a Hill, right here on this very platform, time and time again. Have we not heard people? Uh, uh, I was in going down this particular highway of destruction, and boom, God did this thing. God delivered me. God uh, performed this great healing. God answered this particular prayer. Uh, awesome. Like, again, never gets old, never ceases to encourage me. Uh, Some people would call it deliverance, they would call it freedom, but some story where, you know, I I, I started living right, I I got back on track, and you won't believe it, boom, God just delivered me from this problem, He delivered me from this sickness, delivered my family from this bondage, from this addiction, whatever it is. It's awesome, it's encouraging, and it's glorious, and that happens so many times. There's this boom, kind of deliverance, and it's also... For me, just a little bit, maybe in the back of my mind, just a little bit, what's the word? Frustrating? Um, Maybe I'm envious. You know why? Because if I'm sitting here hearing these stories about this boom, deliverance, it just happened, breakthrough, it happened. And if it's not happening for me, at least not as quickly as I'm seeing it, then I'm left going, okay, what's wrong with me, right? Uh, surely I'm not the only person to feel that way, where it's like, I'm so encouraged, and I 100% believe God did that. There's, n- there's no cynicism, there's no doubt in my mind, I'm all in. I, I, yes, and I'm so happy for you. 
And then part of me is like, but where's my, like, boom, deliverance, you know? I, I, I know God. I know his word. I'm, I'm praying too. And for a lot of us, this is confusing early on in our walk with the Lord because we think something like this. If I were living for the world, like if I'm covered in sin and I'm just totally, you know, I'm, I'm not even trying to follow God. I'm doing the wrong things. Okay, like I could see God not blessing my life with some sort of breakthrough. That, that would make sense. But it's when I start to try to follow God and I still don't see a breakthrough. That's when I'm like, what's up, God? Here I am doing the right thing. Uh, you know, I could see if I were living in sin, but I'm trying to clean my life up. So what gives? Have you ever asked those questions? They're lonely questions. Those are the kinds of questions we don't normally, you know, talk about in a large group setting. But surely I'm not the only one who's asked them. I'm trying to live for God. So why am I still addicted? I'm trying to live for God. So why am I still depressed? If I'm trying to live for you now, God, why do I still struggle with insecurity or loneliness? Why am I, if I'm trying to live for you, Lord, why am I still single, right? Why am I divorced? Why am I doubtful? Why am I hopeless? Why am I still filled with bitterness? If I'm trying to follow you, God, why can't I forgive that person? Why won't that go away? Why haven't I experienced my deliverance if every Sunday in church they keep telling me the deliverer is here? What's the holdup? Is it my faith? I mean, naturally, that's the place we look. look, Well, it must be me. It must be my faith. It must be my lack of obedience. If that's not dealt with, look, if that, if that tension, that, and if you're sitting here and you've never felt that, you know, you're just like, what? Like every time I pray, boom, you know, if that's you, A, pray for me and B, just bear with me through the rest of this sermon, Jesus, because what, you know, we're like, (laughs) we'll get there. But if you're like me, here's the thing. If that's not resolved at some point, if that tension of, I I get that there's supposed to be this great deliverance, I understand that and I believe in that, but it's not happening for me. Boom, where's my God gave this breakthrough? If I'm following him and I'm I'm living for him, like I said, there's not some massive, I mean, we all sin, but there's not some massive rebellion in my heart toward God. If that tension is not resolved, what I worry can happen is that eventually it will grind down hope. It won't burn it up in a flash. It won't be like one Sunday, boom, your faith is gone or something like that. But day after day, week after week, year after year, there will be this kind of grinding down of hope and faith and just slowly sort of wear people down. And uh, uh, there's even Psalms where, you know, you you read and the psalmist is, he just feels worn down. He says, eventually they begin to envy the wicked. I've even heard Christians say this sort of in the privacy of kind of one-on-one confession. They're saying things like, sometimes I think I was better off before I even began walking with the Lord. See? And Satan, you remember, you have an enemy and Satan is not neutral. Satan the whole time is in your ear, right? Saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, God, you can't really trust him. He's wishy-washy. See, that's the thing with God. All these lies from Satan. God's like a lucky charm. He, he sort of works for some people sometime. And then if he doesn't work, they'll just figure out some reason why it wasn't going to work. You know, but it basically boils down to you should just abandon this whole thing. Uh, life with God, it makes no difference. Unless you have today's truth. What we're going to talk about from the word of God today. What we're going to examine. If you don't have the truth of scripture. If you don't have God's word front and center in your mind. When deliverance doesn't happen, my fear is Satan will convince you that your only alternative is to yield to him. See? That's why it's so important. That's why I'm trying to get everybody on board before we go in. This is crucial to you. If you are a Christian, 
uh, then this, this story, we're going to see God's word. It's going to encourage you what to do in those times when you haven't seen that deliverance. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you've already sort of inferred this, but uh, if you're not a Christian, I'm thrilled that you're here today. If you are a person who'd say, you know, I keep coming to church, but I, I'm sort of a skeptic. I've never made that transfer of trust where I've put my life into the hands of God. I've never asked Jesus into my life. I've never made that. And you're just kind of here. You're checking things out. A couple things. Number one, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you keep coming back because it means you're seeking. I'm thrilled by that. And this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you're going to hear me talking to Christians about what happens. And you're already, you, you'll be ahead of the game because you're going to leave here and go, oh, so if I, if I ever do become a Christian, I'm not guaranteed a life that's without pain. Okay, so what Tom's saying is I'm not guaranteed to have a life that doesn't have any suffering or any, any trouble in it, right? And you're going to be ahead of the game on that. A few weeks ago, I played a really, looking back, really sort of mean joke on my church. And I've apologized to him and asked for their forgiveness. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. But uh, uh, I asked him, uh, does, uh, I was trying to make this point that being a Christ follower doesn't mean you're going to have a life without trouble. And so I asked him, I said, do you believe all the promises of God are true? And, you know, did the whole thing where it's like, I can't hear you. You know, do you believe all the promises of God are true? And I made him Saul say, amen. And I asked him again. I mean, every word of God. Do you believe it? Can you believe it? From Genesis to maps. Can you believe every part of the word of God? Can you believe it? And the whole church is like, amen. Now I'm getting them worked up into a frenzy. I mean, if God said it, do, will you stake your life on it that there's no ifs, ands, or buts? It is absolutely true. Will you believe it? If you believe that his promises are true, say amen and hallelujah. Say amen and hallelujah. He has promised you suffering. And everybody was like, what's up with that? <laughs> I really felt bad. But I was trying to make a very specific point. It's like, oh yeah. He didn't say in this world you might have trouble. He didn't say in this world it is possible you'd have trouble. Just as, just as sure as he promised everything else in scripture, he said in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise of God. You can bank on it. Amen and hallelujah. Right? But what? But what does he say? But be of good cheer. Come on. I have overcome the world. And, and sometimes you're, that's half the battle there is realizing that you're not the only one going through suffering. You're not the only one who's ever felt like, why is there no deliverance in my life? You're not the only one. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 puts us right in the middle of a foundational chapter of a foundational book of the whole Bible. You have to be familiar with the book of Exodus. And if you're not a Bible reader, you're not a person who examines Scripture, let me encourage you, go home and read Exodus. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background. If you're familiar with the story of Exodus, if you know the book of Exodus, if you've ever seen Prince of Egypt... You know where we are in the story, right? The uh, Israelites have made their way into Egypt. That is Genesis. That's a long story. We won't go into that. But they're pretty uh, popular there because of what Joseph did in saving the nations. But then a Pharaoh arises who kneweth not Joseph, it says in the first chapter. And this guy doesn't like that the Hebrews are becoming very, very strong. And so these Israelite people are getting so strong that, you know, he enacts this plan of genocide. And you know the story about Moses was spared in that little um, uh, uh, basket of reeds and this amazing story. Turns out Pharaoh, right? you know, you see God's hand. Moses uh, 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 grows up as the prince of Egypt. 
Egypt murders a, uh, uh, an Egyptian who's beating up some Israelites. He's worried that it's found out. So he runs up. Most, there's actually two exoduses in the book of Exodus. You know that, right? The first one was when Moses' exodus. So it's funny, like, you know, like Moses wandering the wilderness. No, he's retracing his steps. You know, he's like, I remember when I ran the first time. You know, oh, yeah, I remember that, right? It's important to remember. So he runs and makes his way to the backside of some mountain in Midian, minding his own business, gets married, Zipporah. Has some kids, has a good life. He's got a dad named Jethro, got some sheep, hang out on the backside of a mountain on Midian, has a good life, when suddenly God interrupts this life with the burning bush. You guys remember this, right? The bush that's burning and doesn't burn up. And he gives him this uh, uh, plan. God says, I'm, you know who I am. I'm the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've come down to rescue the people of Israel and pull them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. It's going to be awesome. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Here's some signs. Take your uh, staff, throw it down. It becomes a snake. Uh, pick it up, it's a staff again, the leper's hand. You know, it gives all these signs. You're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to do that. But first, you're going to go to the people of Israel. Okay, everybody with me? Now, here we are at the end of uh, chapter 4. I know I told you to turn to five, but, but if you'll just back up toward the end of four. Oh, uh, Moses gives all these excuses, by the way. And one of the things he says, I can't speak very good. And so uh, uh, God uh, sends Aaron to help him. And sure enough, the first thing they're supposed to do before they go to Pharaoh, they're supposed to go to the people of Israel. This for them, I think, was the big hurdle. I mean, I really think that Moses and Aaron, here's Moses who he may be seen as a traitor for growing up and uh, being uh, uh, somehow uh, 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 held out of the, the slavery. Maybe he's uh, seen as a murderer. Nobody can trust him. Where has he been? He really, I think he's just as frightened to face the elders of Israel as he is Pharaoh. So when he goes to the elders of Israel, here we go. They do what the Lord commanded. This is really important. Moses and Aaron do exactly what the Lord commanded. They go to the people, and he, let's see what happens. This, uh, this would be like verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also per performed the signs before the people. And what happens? Verse 31, you can feel the excitement building. And they believed. Yes! And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down. And worshiped. They not just believed the word of the Lord, they put it into their life, they bowed down, they worshiped, they showed reverence to God. It's like, yes, so good at the start. This is awesome. And so you know Moses and Aaron, they high five, they're going, man, I thought they were going to kill us. I, I, I had no idea. I thought there was going to be a mob riot. I had no idea what was going to happen. Instead, best of all possible scenarios, they believe the word of the Lord and they worship the Lord. We've got God on our side. We've got this new lease on life. We're going out of Egypt into the promise land this is going to be easy this is going to be awesome that's where many people find themselves when they first begin following the lord did you know that i've heard countless testimonies when i first uh, i was at a billy graham crusade i was minding my own business a friend brought me and man when he gave that altar call i really i feel like i was born again that day i prayed to receive christ and i was uh, uh, I, I never had another desire for another drink I, I put the cigarettes away and was never even tempted again, right? These sort of miraculous deliverance. I had a, 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 an issue in my life that was a, a anxiety. I had these panic attacks. Boom, like that, they were gone. I've heard these stories. And so people start out following the Lord and they go, man, this is amazing. This is easy. God says it. It just gets done. Awesome. Let's see what happens next. And what happens next, you probably know. Moses and Aaron's first encounter with Pharaoh. 
Moses and Aaron, chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They go and tell Pharaoh exactly what God said. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Right? It's going to be awesome. We're going to experience this deliverance. And you know what happens next. The opposite of deliverance happens. Pharaoh throws cold water on all their excitement. Pharaoh said, verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Wow. You hear that open defiance? Who's the Lord? Oh, the Lord told you that. Oh, I don't care. You know what this reminds me of? This is Monday morning after an awesome Sunday church service. Man, the Lord has got me so... You're driving to work, you're still amped up. This is awesome. The Lord has dealt with me. The Lord has told me to love and to share. You get there Monday morning, they're like, Who is the Lord? You're at work now, bud. Right? This sort of cold water on everything that, like Sunday, how could it be that I was so sure of God? I knew God was with me. I knew that this was going to work. I knew his deliverance was going to happen. And then I get sucked into my work or my school or somebody like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And yes, that is true, right? On Monday morning, whatever it is, right? These, it's just cold water's thrown on all these great intentions. Pharaoh's basically, his open defiance is saying, by saying, who is the Lord? He's saying, essentially, the only authority you need to know about around here is Pharaoh. Well, this throws Moses and Aaron. And I know it throws them because of verse 3. They have no idea what to do with this. There is not a category for this. So far, God speaks. He does deliverance. This is like a person who's every prayer meeting they've ever been to, they immediately see the answer to the prayer. And then one day they don't. uh, uh, there's no category for that. So verse three, uh, then they said, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Like Pharaoh is making clearly a rhetorical question. Well, who's the Lord? And they don't know what to do. So they just sort of answer it. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. This is my favorite part. Favorite part. Please let us go on a three day journey into the wilderness. Isn't that great? They go right to five-year-old mode. Like, Give me a popsicle. No. Please. That's better. Like, that's going to work on Pharaoh. This is great. Evil, tyrannical, genocidal, maniac prince of Egypt won't let us go. But then again, we did forget to say please. So let's try again. (laughs) I mean, like, pretty please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. And then Moses and Aaron sort of make this last part up. This isn't exactly what God told them to say, but they're, you know, they're desperate lest he fall on us with pestilence or with the sword. I don't know, right? But the king of Egypt said to them, this is where Pharaoh's saying we're done here. Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. In other words, we're done here. Back to work. And uh, uh, then verse 5, Pharaoh gets to thinking. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And later that afternoon, he's still pondering that conversation. And he thinks, wait a minute. If they've got time that they want to go out and have some religious festival, that probably means they've got enough time on their hands. There's enough free time that they can probably put together a little rebellion. There might be a slave uprising, a revolt. We can't have that. And so he wants to even tighten the fist. And so this is, this is the plan he hatches. This is the evil plan. 
The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Uh, listen, to well, let me do taskmasters and foremen, then I'll tell you the plan. The, the perfect visual image to understand the governmental structure of Pharaoh, there's a perfect visual image. And it is uh, the uh, king of Egypt's governmental structure was really a pyramid. Which is convenient, but because that's what they're building. But the pyramid's the perfect, why? Because at the very top you have Pharaoh, and he is resting comfortably on the weight, breaking the backs of all those beneath. But underneath Pharaoh, he's got Egyptian taskmasters. Pharaoh's not out sweating in the sun, building these bricks and putting together the pyramids. No, 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 no. Under him are taskmasters. But under the taskmasters, and this is the truly evil part, under the taskmasters are not the slaves. Under the taskmasters, you ready for this? The Egyptian taskmasters. So Pharaoh's saying, I'm holding you accountable. You do whatever you got to do to get the job done. And the taskmasters, under them as the slaves? No, no, no. Under them are Israelite foremen. He makes the Israelites enslave their own people, you see. So he tells the Israelite foremen, now the taskmasters tell the foremen, we will hold you responsible. We will beat and threaten and kill you unless you obviously beat and threaten and kill your own people. Isn't that wicked? He makes his own people become the slave masters to do this uh, oppressive work. So the pyramid goes, uh, uh, and there's more and more at the bottom. So what happens? What, what does he say? <laughs> he hatches this plan. He tells the uh, foreman, the taskmasters and the foreman, he calls them both together. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Presumably they were giving them all the raw materials they needed. They just had to do the labor. No, 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 no. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But here's the worst part. Okay, so you're making them do more work. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it. See, for they're idle. That's why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be made on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to these lying words. Everybody understand the scenario? You've been working from 5 a.m. until 5 p.m. building these bricks. But now I want the same number of bricks, the same quota of bricks. But now you've got to start at 3 a.m. because you need two hours to go gather straw to get the raw materials. But don't in any way lessen the number of bricks you have to make. And so now they're obviously going to have to work harder. They're going to have to be scattered into all the different fields because you can't just gather straw at one place. And so you put down a revolt by taking up all their time, by scattering the people. And no doubt someone's going to get exhausted and eventually say, well, he's got a big pile of straw. There's going to be a straw shortage. There's going to be stealing of straw from other Israelites. All this stuff, right? Can you imagine a world where a boss would come to you and you would, he would take away the means you need to do a job and then demand that the job get done? Some of you have already copied down this scripture to show your boss on Monday morning. You're like, dude, the Bible is so applicable to my life. You would not believe, right? Give me the means to do the job and I'll do it. Stop holding me responsible for something and not even giving me the means. That's Pharaoh has never met your boss, but that is exactly what Pharaoh is doing in this scene. So that's Pharaoh's word. What do you do? So the taskmasters in the form of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as the past? And the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, 
right? Just common sense. So they get this meeting with Pharaoh, and Moses and Aaron are not invited. And so we find out later, Moses and Aaron go with them. And they're like, what are you going to say? And they're sort of mad at Moses and Aaron, like, what have you done? They were so excited about deliverance, but deliverance hasn't happened. So the taskmasters go in, and they meet with Pharaoh. They have this conference with Pharaoh. And you imagine poor Moses and Aaron sort of standing out. If you imagine the steps of the courthouse, and then the lobby, and then security, they're sort of hanging out in lobby before security. I don't know. I hope it's going well. Let's look in on the meeting. They go and they say common sense. Why do you treat your servants like this? And they make their case. No straw is given to your servants. And yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Right? Total common sense. But he said, no, you're idle. You're idle. That's why you say, let's go sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble that Hebrew word means evil, raw, when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They knew they were in trouble, right? No hope. And so verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. So they go out in the lobby and they said to him, now listen, the Bible makes this next verse sound gentle, but it's not. This is the, the, what they say to him. They look at Moses and Aaron. Well, how'd it go? Did Pharaoh see any kind of reason? I mean, do you think he's going to let us go? The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. You've gotten us so mad. We're mixing metaphors. Stink and in sight. Furious with them. Why? And his servants. Because you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. You want to know how it went? May the Lord look on you and judge. This was their way of cursing Moses and Aaron. How can you blame them? Things don't get better. I mean, here deliverance has been promised. And things don't get better. They get worse. Here, it's like God has made this big promise of deliverance to the people. And instead of any of that coming to fruition, I mean, the people believed, right? It's not the people's faith. You heard me read that verse. The people believed and they bowed their heads in worship. The people were being faithful. Does everybody see my point? Every, Moses, Aaron, everybody was doing exactly what God wanted them to do. No deliverance. No deliverance. So these next verses are why I've... Uh, to me, why the, this is the burden for the sermon. These, these next verses. Here we go. So what does Moses do? What happens next? These next two verses, people who do not read the Bible, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people that they would not even believe these verses are in the Bible. In fact, there's a lot of Christians who don't even believe these verses are even in the Bible. If you think, oh, okay, uh, Father's Day, I know, yay, dads. L- listen. If you grew up in a home, and I will not ask for a show of hands. I'll just know by looking at your face. If you grew up in a home where you mouthed off to mom or dad. I mean, you said something sarcastic or nasty. If you grew up in a home where there was no time out. Okay, some of you already know where I'm going. Right, okay, we're done. Yeah, there was no that hurt mommy draw a picture of how you think mommy feels does anybody know what i'm talking about yeah okay there yeah i I don't like i'm not going to call child protective services on any of you but like if that's the home you grew up in if you grew up in that home then here's what happens here's what happens Uh, (laughs) if you grew up in that home then what happens is you come to the bible and you see somebody just let god have it and what you quite naturally expect is the holy smite down i mean the, the I cannot believe. 
If one of your kids said this to you, there would be time out. And yet, a human being says this to the almighty creator, God of the universe. And it is shocking. More than once I've bought Bibles for people who've never read the Bible before. They get through Genesis and Exodus and call me back and say, did you give me the right book? Because it's unbelievable what's in here. So here we go. I, I will read it in all of its rich, horrifying glory. You ready? Some of you will have to cover your eyes for what happens next. <clears throat> then Moses turned to the Lord and said... Right, so God has done nothing he said he's going to do, and all the people are mad at him. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Exact same word, Ra. In other words, you just accused God and Pharaoh of the same thing. Ever since you sent me, he's done into this people. And here it is. And you have not delivered your people at all. What happens next? I don't know. In your different versions, record it differently. In my version, there is no chapter 6. It's just a smite lightning burn mark. It's just wiped out. End of Exodus over. Right? Man, it's what we we would expect. And God smote Moses and said, enough. Like, I don't... What do you mean, who am I? What what planet are you on where you get to ask God what he's going... But here's the thing. How can you blame him? It's so easy to sit here in 2013 and look back at Moses and go... Come on. But how can you blame him? When you look around, and what do you see? Trouble all around. I was minding my own business, God. I was on the backside of a mountain in Midian, and I had a pretty good thing going. Now listen, I'll grant you this. I'm glad you came into my life because I needed forgiveness. But I didn't need you to rearrange all my future plans. Yes, I needed you, okay? I murdered a guy. My bad. But I, I don't need you to like give me a whole new lease on life. I was just in a Billy Graham crusade, minding my own business. I didn't know you were going to like change all my habits. I was just uh, at this church service and they kept preaching and I finally believed on you. I didn't know you were going to like really make me do new stuff with my life. You get this? And so when none of that stuff happens, how can you blame him? He's like, look, I was fine before I met you. Yes, I needed a little help with my sin. But come on, you've given me this great promise of deliverance and you have not delivered your people at all all i don't know who has the guts to say that like i mean it's like you everybody wants to celebrate the big testimonies but who gets up on the platform and says i have been praying over and over again and i have not seen deliverance at all right and nothing just actually more trouble Uh, that's that's important to point out uh it's not just things are remaining steady and you haven't delivered things have actually gotten worse Many of us can relate to Moses in, in that way. Now, many of us can relate to Moses. There's that way we can relate. But I, I want to point this out. There's a, there's a certain particular way where we cannot relate to Moses. And this is it. No matter how much we empathize, no matter how much some of you are going, I have been there, man. I've been there with Moses. I understand that. Uh, there's a part of us, because we've heard this story a million times, there's a part of us that just will never be able to relate. Because what we do is we want to look at Moses and go, Moses, Moses, come on, man. Like, don't you know what happens in the end of Exodus? Like, there's a part of us that will never fully appreciate this because we look at this and we, like, go to Moses. We're like, Moses, come here, come here. Broses, 
You, <laughs> this is what we want to say. Look, I get that you're upset, and I get that all you can see is trouble all around. But look, 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 look. It's just the end of the chapter, bro. It's not the end of the book. It's just the end of your chapter. It's not the end of the book. And you know what Moses would say to us? It was the end of the book for me. See, you don't know what's the end of the chapter when you're in the middle of it. And so time and time again, my job as a preacher is to look at people in pain who say, my book ends here and I got to grab them and go, Broses, it's the end of your chapter, not the end of your book. God is still writing. That's the whole sermon. I, I mean, I was trying to like build it and get it to there. So it'd be like this, aha, uh-huh, and I don't know if it did it or not, but that, that's the whole point of the sermon. It's just the end of the chapter. It's not the end of the book. And I want you guys to tell each other that. I want you to start telling each other that. I want you to say, bro, 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 you're putting a period where there should be a comma. And for some of you, okay, it's a semicolon. I get it. It's a long pause. Fine. But it's not a period if God is still writing. It's the end of the chapter, not the end of the book. And you can use that immediately. Your kids are going to be in the minivan on the way home. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm what? It's the end of the chapter, kids. Not the end of the book. There's going to be a lunch. You know what I'm saying? Right? Big things, little things. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you calling? And you know why you think it's the end of the book? Because you're in the middle of it. So Moses is going, you haven't delivered your people at all. And here's the thing. Um, uh, In your Bible, it's interesting. Look in your Bible at the end of five. I mean, if you have your Bible on the phone or whatever, then, you know, you'll have to scroll to chapter six. And I understand that. But this is the point I'm making. How much, like in my version... There's a little bit of white space between chapter 5 and verse 6. Here's my question. How long is that white space? And the answer is, I don't know. And boy, if I did, oh, what a better counselor I would be to people. Because then I could look at them and I could say, actually, I mean, I know you're so, this infertility thing, I know you're actually going to become pregnant on May 30th or something. Or this job, I get it. You've put out 10,000 resumes. I know, I know. But it's actually going to be one more year of resumes. And on this day, you will come back in this room wearing a purple shirt and, or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I have no idea how long that white space is. All I know is there is a chapter 6. In fact, there's a whole, I mean, look, look, look. There's a, there's a lot more. All the way to new heaven, new earth, which doesn't ever end. You're saying, there's a lot more. Anyway, I don't know how long it was. And I know it'd be easy to shake Moses and say, come on, it's just the end of the chapter. Uh, But uh, there is a chapter 6, and what he says is so precious and so good, he doesn't smite him. He doesn't crush him. He doesn't destroy him. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is not lecturing. It's not pedantic. It's the tender heart of a loving father. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now, I don't know when that now came. I don't. Was this a month later? Was this immediate? Was this a year later? I don't know. But I know this. Only God gets to pick the now. Only God can say now. Moses can't say now. The people can't say now. And Pharaoh thinks he can say now. Please. Who is Pharaoh? I'm being dead serious. Who is Pharaoh? You know the Pharaoh in the Bible who said, who is the Lord? Quick, tell me his name. It's not there. Exactly. So who's Pharaoh? Anyway, we're still talking about the Lord. Isn't that... Okay, just me. Um, yeah, but now I forgot where I was to try to make that point about Pharaoh. Not um, What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, only God gets to pick the now. Now, look back in your life. What if you had gotten to pick the now? 
Let's just take for a moment that you did have the power to have all your prayers answered. What if you could pick the now? You know how in your relationships, I mean, in a good relationship, you're married, you've been married all these years. Oh, we're so in love. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, let's just say, you ever hear timing is everything? You ever hear that? How many of you, if you could have chosen the now of your marriage, how many of you, you're like, it would be miserable, right? You would have picked the wrong person. You'd have married at 12, your first crush or whatever. You know what I'm talking about, Right? Or your kids, if you could have picked the now. Or that job, if you could have gotten the one you got. And God was like, actually, it's this one. What? And, and all that stuff worked out. Think about how many times in your life, if you had had the power to pick the now, you'd have messed it up. And yet, God chooses the now. And I still have the uh, 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 inability to give him the credit for that. And I still yell at him when he doesn't do things my way. When he's like, time and time again, I've shown you, your way is really not as good as mine. Isn't that something? Now. You will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he'll drive them out of his country. That's so tender, too, because God doesn't give them some new revelation. You know, I've seen people that pray over and over, and they don't see an answer to prayer. And what they need is not some new truth. They need his word, the same word. He reassures them with the same word. And then he tells them what? I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. It goes on from there. I've heard the groanings. Don't you see? He gives the same speech that he's already given him. The deepest need in your life, even more than deliverance, is to hear the tender word of the Lord. Uh, one last thing about that whole uh, speech, and uh, I'll stop. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I love thinking about why, why didn't God strike Moses down? And this, this is what I've come to the conclusion. In a way, I believe God was deeply pleased with this scene. And, and here's what I mean. I don't think God was offended. I don't think that your lashing out or your questions necessarily can offend him. That's another topic. But, but for Moses, this moment represented tremendous progress. Do you know why? The answer is in verse 22. <clears throat> and just sort of find verse 22 of chapter 5 and uh, you'll see. This is tremendous progress. Chapter 5, verse 22. I, ho- I hope that's right. Yeah, it is. Okay, Uh, here's why. Historically, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to problems, what is Moses' way of dealing with the problems and tremendous stress and trouble in his life? Do you remember? Do you know what it is? It's running. That's exactly right. It's running. He got into trouble. He got into that conflict with the murder scene. What does he do? Hightails it out of Egypt. In fact, there's another great scene of Moses running that's often overlooked. He takes the staff and God says, throw it down. It will become a serpent. He throws it down and becomes a serpent. And the very next thing, so Moses ran, serpent, right? And you would too. I love that. The great prince of Egypt running from his own staff, right? He's a runner. If you got a problem, yo, Moses will solve it by running. But now his problem is gone. So where do you run? And he had every chance to run from God again. Backside of a mountain, belly of a whale, whatever, wherever you end up, you run from God. But what did he do instead? Look what verse 22 says. But he turned to the Lord. He turned to God. When his problem was finally God, he could have ran, but he didn't. He turned to the Lord. Some of your versions say he returned to the Lord. I love that. Look, I, some of you may be tempted to run if you realize, where is this deliverance? Why isn't it happening? But will you run toward the Lord. And, and some of you are like, but all I would say to him is my disgust. All I have for him is a word of sort of blaming, and I've got a lot of stuff and all this baggage. Then bring that to him. You'll sound a lot like a lot of the Psalms. And you will find in the Psalms the same truth that the Psalmist found. Yet he is enthroned on high. 
yet I know him to be faithful. Where are you? Why do the wicked prosper? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet I know that you are enthroned on high, right? Turning toward him, not running from him. And what does uh, God say? This is the, uh, the, so good. It's like God is pulling him near in chapter 6, saying, I know, man, I know. I know the circumstances uh, are telling you some pretty powerful lies. And if God could pull you near, maybe he would tell you this. I know the circumstances are telling you that Pharaoh's the Lord, that God is wishy-washy, and sometimes he's like a magic trick or a voodoo charm. Sometimes he works. He promises big, but he doesn't deliver. Pharaoh's the high and mighty boss around here. I know. That's what you can see with your eyes. But when you can't trust your eyes, trust your Lord. And then he just, I am the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm going to get the people out of Egypt. You need my word in the midst of all these lies because you are thinking it's the end of the book and I'm trying to get this to you. It's the end of the chapter and I'm still writing Moses. What a mighty God and what a great encouragement to those of us. Yeah, what a great encouragement to those of us who may feel like, man, I'm hearing all this talk about deliverance, but I'm not seeing it for me. I can't snap my fingers and make the deliverance happen, but I can give you his word to Moses. It's not the end. Of, it's not. It's just the end of the chapter. It's not the end of the book, right? That's all. He's still writing. He's still writing in your life and in mine. Let's pray to him and let's have this boy. What a reminder! If anybody needs a reminder, the Lord's Supper. Let's go to him in prayer, Father. I thank you that for all of us who have, at one time or another, or maybe that time right now, are struggling with wondering where you're at. They have a certain prayer request, and they've been praying over and over again. And uh, things are getting worse, not better. And God, I pray today that you would grant them the grace to persist in prayer and not give up. Father, there are others who are struggling in an obsession or an addiction. And they have uh, tried to do the right thing over and over again. And they are just just on a knife edge about to make a decision today to give in to that addiction or to uh, uh, stay true to you. And God, I pray you grant them the grace to believe that you are still writing, that it's the end of the chapter, but it's not the end of the book. They would do the right thing today. And Father, there are others who have been struggling with the illness and they uh, have prayed over and over again. And I pray, oh God, you would grant them the grace to believe that this is the end of the chapter, not the end of the book. That only you get to pick the now. There are those who are struggling with a relationship. They long to be in love. And they're struggling with a, a kind of a brokenness, a broken heart. I pray, oh God, that you would remind them that you are still writing. You are sovereign. Just like you reminded Moses, you must have pulled him so close and whispered to him. I pray you would pull close and whisper to those in this room. You are the Lord. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's one thing we know about you, God. If you make a promise, you keep it. And all of your promises were yes in Jesus Christ. Every promise you made found its fulfillment in the perfect salvation work of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, for encouraging us. Father, we thank you for encouraging us through the Lord's Supper. 
And while I'm praying, I would ask the ushers to begin making their way to their positions to help us come to the table reverently. Father, I thank you for the Lord's Supper. And I thank you, God, for this great reminder. For some people, the scriptures are just left unclear and the preacher can preach, but it just sounds like a bunch of noise. They need this reminder, oh God, that you have not forsaken your good promises that we will proclaim your death until you come in full faith and assurance that, oh, you will come. As you prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper, I just want to say some words from 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus, uh, Paul says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we come uh, to this table, you know, the ushers know how to help us get to the table in a way that's reverent. So just follow their example. But ponder this great moment that Jesus hanging on the cross and laid in the grave. If ever there was a moment that we would think it was the end of the book. I mean, that's the end of the whole story, right? The disciples learned what every Christian in here also believes with full hope. That uh, Jesus in the grave turns out to be just the end of the chapter, not the end of the book. He is alive. He is still working. He is still forgiving. He is still healing. And he's still a mighty deliverer to save from the bondage of Egypt or sin or even death. Let's come faithfully. The things of God are prepared for the people of God. So I leave you now in the capable hands of the ushers. Just use this time to meditate and pray until your row is Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.